Good day to you, and welcome to the podcast for the Union Street Meeting House. In this podcast, we will be sharing messages from our weekly worship services. Union Street Meeting House is a Christian ministry that introduces people of all ages to Jesus Christ and recalls those who once knew Him back into an intimate, vibrant, living relationship with Him. We are a house for Christian fellowship and personal growth. You are always welcome here at Union Street Meeting House. Let's go into this week's message right now. Welcome this morning. I want to rewind a little bit. Folks come in and out, and some of you are going to hear this a little bit of this over again, and that's okay. Uh, I don't think you can get too much of God's Word, uh, truthfully. So, But for me... It's been an awesome month to learn and talk about John Baptist at the beginning of December and how he was the forerunner to Christ and how he was sent to prepare the way and then to see Mary and Joseph and how God used them to birth and parent Jesus. Can you think of that? What an honor to parent the Christ And how Joseph is somewhat even this unsung unsung hero of sorts of the story of Christ's birth. Mary gets a lot of credit as well she should and, and her obedience. And when the angel comes to her and she says... At your word, Lord, let it be so. And and then, but we don't hear much about Joseph, but how Joseph was a man of faith and trust and courage and how his example is actually an example to us that even when it may not be working out like we think it should, can you imagine being Joseph and hearing this news of the one he loves and how confusing that must have been? And in our lives, we have times when things are brought into our lives and they're very confusing to us. But Joseph is a great example. And his example is one that says, even when it may not be working out like we think it should, that we are to be patient and we are to hear from the Lord and ultimately we are to trust Him for His goodness. And then we learned again about the birth of Christ and how God sent His Son as a babe in a manger, in a, in a, in a humble estate, as it's talked about. And, and Pastor Bill's always talked about this as well, that, that he wouldn't do it that way. I don't think I would do it that way. I don't think you would do it that way, that you wouldn't, you wouldn't bring a baby into the world to save the world. But the way God does it is not always the way we would do it. And in the manger, and that literally since his birth, the enemy set out to harm him, like through Herod, who who killed all the babies in that land. But God is faithful, and he protected him, and he spoke to Joseph, and he said, get him safely out. Joseph does so. And then we see Jesus grows up. He's growing into a man. And then he meets John at the Jordan River and he's baptized by John and Jesus came up out of the water and behold, the heavens were open and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And lighting on him. What a sight to behold. I'm asking you, as I read this this morning, as you're reading the scriptures to see it in your mind's eye, Jesus is being baptized and he comes up out of the water and the spirit like a dove. It's not a dove, it's like a dove. And there's lighting on him. It's it's as if when the sun shines through and creates these things, but there's this beautiful sunbeam or whatever's happening that shines through and there's lighting on him. 
God is just faithful in that. And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this is what we know in the church as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is, this is what we preach here, and it's a whole other sermon. We actually had one earlier, but we'll have one later this year again on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that here at Union Street. And then we see Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit to the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights where he is ultimately tempted by the devil. And I love this. And after he dispatches the devil, and after setting the devil straight, Jesus then begins his ministry. And last week we talked about the basics or, or getting back to the basics in our lives. We talked about the fundamentals. We talked about how sports teams will, will go over the fundamentals and the fundamentals and the fundamentals until it's second nature to them. Christians have the same responsibility that we are to know the word and know the word and know the word until it's second nature to us. Part of our new nature, as the Bible says. And in order to do things well, we must understand the fundamentals. And I shared the three things that Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4 that were fundamental to his ministry and should be fundamental to every church today, but it, it definitely needs to be fundamental here at this church. And those three things are teaching, proclaiming, and healing. Those are the three things that Jesus did. If you read, he went through and he began. In fact, let's read it. Matthew 4, 23. Matthew 4.23 says this. Matthew 4.23. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread through all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And then large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So everywhere they came. So let's not miss this this morning. Jesus is born in the Spirit. Jesus is baptized in the Holy Spirit. He is led by the Spirit. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He put Satan in his place. Then he, then he begins to teach and proclaim and heal. And also, we talked last week about the greatest sermon ever given, the Sermon on the Mount. And that's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We continued with the fundamentals, the Beatitudes. And again, we reviewed the characteristics of what Christ sees as our standard, our fundamentals, if we are to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. I didn't say that. Jesus says that. If you want to be sons and daughters of the Most High God, this is what we need to do. And he talks about the poor in spirit, and those who mourn, and those who are gentle, and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, and the peacemakers. And lastly, we talked about that we are the salt and the light. 
of the world, and we are to let our light shine so we may glorify the Father. And we talked about how that periodically or maybe even more than we care to, that we need to self-evaluate. We need to put ourselves against the standard of what God is saying, and we need to examine ourselves. The Bible is clear when it tells us to do that. It tells us to do that. It's no different than checking your navigation when you're going on a trip that you will check to see that your waypoints and where you're going and that you're on course and that you're doing the things that God wants you to do. And this is not a works message. But works are part of it. It's the fruit of it. It's not works that's at the foundation. It's works that are the byproduct. So don't get hung up on the works. Well, no. Jesus is looking for the heart of man. And we are to be the salt and the light of the world. And that's another whole sermon in itself. I don't want to get stopped there today. But we as Christians know this scripture. And I know this has been a lot of review, but I feel compelled as we start this new year and even as we birth this new ministry that we must be rooted and grounded in the fundamentals. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I pray that as we read your word this morning, Lord, that you will speak to each of us, that you will minister to us, and you will teach us, and you will proclaim the gospel to us, and you'll even heal us this morning, God. We praise you for it and trust you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We talked about last week all the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, and we want to work through that over the next couple weeks. I believe that if Jesus has said it, then we ought to know it. And I believe that Sometimes even if you've been in the faith for, for an extended period of time, there, there's a tendency not to read the scriptures that we kind of already know. There's a tendency not to go back to those fundamentals, that, that it's wonderful to seek the nuggets we talked about or seek the treasure and how you have to dig for it. Not that he's hiding it from us for that sake, but that he, he desires to know that we are searching him out as well. And so every scripture, every word that, that is in this Bible is meaningful and speaks to us. And, and not all of it is exciting. And some of it is hard truth. Some of it is things that we don't care to hear. And some of it is things that you'll never hear preached in a pulpit, pulpit like hell and that kind of thing. Because heaven forbid we wouldn't want to offend anybody. They can go to hell, but we wouldn't want to have them leave the church. Sorry, just true. And so not every word in here is, is such that it's exciting to us per se, but it's necessary and it's good. How many of you know sometimes you want a soft drink instead of water, but water is good? Amen? I guess that was for me, Pastor Bill. Matthew 5, we'll start in verse 21. You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, 
shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Verse 27. You've heard it said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body go into hell. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give a certificate of divorce. Verse 32, but what's Jesus got to say about it? But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of unchastity makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond this and these is of evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other one him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I know that most of you and us know this passage fairly well. But I don't want to assume anything this morning. I don't want to just glaze over this. This is Jesus talking to us. And I'd like to pontificate on it for a moment. Jesus had this to say over 2,000 years ago. And I find that it's probably even more relevant today than it was then, but at least equally as relevant. Isn't it wonderful how this word is able to maintain relevancy throughout eternity? That would be an amen. 
And Jesus had to say this to them then, knowing, I believe, that it would be written for all eternity for us to read today over 2,000 years. And at the crux of it all, all Jesus is saying here is it is about the heart. Everything that he has just taught boils down to our heart, to your heart, or the motive that you have, or the intention that you have. We see it with children. We, we see sometimes, I see sometimes, I have four grandchildren, and of course I have three children. And I see sometimes that uh, young children will, will, will harm their sibling. And, and sometimes they do it intentionally. They have the motive to do it. But sometimes they don't realize what they're doing. And they still do it. This whole passage really is about your heart. Jesus is speaking to them about their hearts. Everything that he's going to be talking about as he is bringing forth the message of life to, to the people that he is, is ministering to, which includes us today, to the Pharisees that he's talking to who have an outward walk, a flesh walk, if you may, a walk that they believe please God because it's outside of them and not in them. And Jesus knows this. We're going to learn this this morning. And at the, at the crux of it all is the heart. He's constantly exhorting us to examine our hearts. Not that we just do outwardly actions that would showcase us as holy, but genuinely that our hearts would be right with Him and our hearts would be holy. He wants us to be right on the matter. He wants us to be righteous on the matter. And the only righteousness we have comes from him. And so if this is what Jesus is telling us this morning, then this is what he is expecting of us this morning. And if he's expecting this of us this morning, then I'm believing that he has made a way for us to accomplish it this morning. And you say, well, Tim, how am I ever going to be a person who, who, who never does these things, who never has anger, or who never tells a lie, or who never has, speaks falsely, or my no's are not always no's, and my yes's aren't always yes's. Lord, how can I get that done? But when Jesus says this as a command to us, he's made the provision to us. And we have the Holy Spirit that was sent when we're the new creature that will train and teach and help us to guard our hearts. And God has made a way. God wants to know that our motives are holy. He understands that we're human. But let me, let me just catch that for you this morning. If you use a term that says, well, I'm only human. No, that's a lie from the pit of hell. You're not only human. You're a new creation in God. You're a new creation in Christ. If someone's not saved and they say, well, I'm only human, you could probably agree with that. Yes, you are. Because you do not have the power of God in you. You do have Christ in your heart. You do not have the Holy Spirit guiding you, teaching you, and showing you the way that you can live. But praise God. If you're a believer this morning, you have that. 
And absolutely, there are instructions and standards that he's giving us also. Let's take a look at verse 21 and 22. It's not just murder. He says, don't be angry. I will tell you, I have a tough spot with that. I'd like to take a minute to talk about anger. There was a time in my life when, when, when rageaholism was a big part of my life. And when I gave my life to Christ, it's one of the first things he dealt with. But you know what? It didn't go away totally. Sometimes anger gets in us. I had to learn, and I even submitted myself to counseling, which we should do if you feel that you need counseling. And the counselor said, Tim, I want you to understand something about anger. Anger is a secondary emotion, typically that's resulted from hurt or fear. And I was scared of things, I found out. I found out I had real fears in my life, and those fears made me a little less confident about who I was and I would compensate by becoming angry about the things that weren't going well. And we see fear can, can rule our lives if we're not careful. In fact, last night at the orchard, and I want to encourage you to come to the orchard for teaching, but Pastor Bill elaborated on the fact that there, if you can think of it this way, there's two rail tracks. There's a rail track that runs from heaven to us and back and that one's faith. And there's one that's to the darkness and back, and that's fear. And fear can do crazy things to us, and we have to bring it under submission and bring it captive in our mind. And also hurts. Sometimes we've been hurt in our life. You've been hurt. Been hurt by a spouse, or you've been hurt by a parent, or you've been hurt by a friend, or, or even a stranger. And you let, that, you let that hurt build up inside you, and and it creates an anger in you sometimes you don't even know about. But God says, you've heard it said, do not commit murder, but I say that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Verse 23 and 24, that talks a lot about being reconciled. It says, leave your all. It says, therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come present your offering. Some of you find it hard to get to the altar. I'm just saying. And I believe that some of the reason is that is that because you have unforgiveness toward others or maybe even yourself in your heart and you won't let go. And you can't get here because you know that here you're going to have to cleanse that or it's going to be cleansed for you. And some of you, frankly, just don't want to let go of it. And this morning I'm telling you there's hope and there's a place you can go to let go of it, that Christ is waiting for you to let go of it. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. And again, if you've been around here long enough, you'll hear the words, do you want to be reconciled or do you want to be right? It's just a ministry. God's given us Christians that as a ministry. It's not an option. It's something that he's placed in us and he desires for us to do. In verses 25 and 26, again, he talks about it. 
Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you're with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge and the officer and then be thrown into prison. He says, make friends quickly. Reconcile yourselves. Reconciliation is a funny thing. The Bible even says, reconcile yourself to every person as much as possible. That means that that you may not always get reconciled. That means that there may not be that connection of reconciliation. But God is telling us to go our distance. We have to trust that the other person will either come the way or they won't. But we do our part and the Lord is pleased. Somebody say amen. Verse 27. Do not commit adultery, even in your heart. Verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in, her, in his heart. God has a word to us, and he's teaching this. Why did you say all this, God? Why was this important on the Sermon of the Mount? Verses 31 and 32 kind of tag along with adultery in many cases. It says, don't divorce. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give a certificate of divorce. And that was from Moses. Later on, Jesus says, Moses permitted it because the hardness of our hearts. The hardness of your hearts. But it was not that way from the beginning. And I say to you, to everyone divorces his wife except for the reasons of unchastity. Make her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And this is not preached much in church today because we have now over a 50%, over a 50% divorce fail rate in the church. And as I stand before you this morning, I'm a divorced person and have been through it. And I need to remind you that God does not hate divorced people. He hates divorce. But We all make mistakes. We all fall short, as the Bible says. And if you have been in that situation, there is hope through repentance and restoration. But if you're not there yet, and you're with your loved one, then you know, without a doubt, that you heard here today that God hates divorce. I shared with you it would be a hard word this morning. But make no mistake about it, just like when the Lord was brought the prostitute and they wanted to stone her, he released her and said, go and sin no more and gave her the opportunity for restoration. No matter what your sin is, God desires reconciliation for you this morning. Verse 33 through 37 talks about don't make false vows. I I love it here. Let me find it. Well, I love it that says uh, you can't make one hair white or black. Isn't that the truth? I love it in 34. And he says, but I say to you, make no oath at all. How many of you know we talk way too much? We have a tendency to want to agree to things that we really don't believe in or, or go along with. I, I can remember that I bought a uh, timeshare. Oh, my gosh. It was the worst thing I ever did. Some of you have had good luck with that. 
probably a lot more people have had less luck with the timeshares. There was a time there that I should have just said nothing at all and not made a commitment and agreement and paid for a timeshare that we never used. Well, we used a little. But you get the point. God's person doesn't have to present themselves with all the answers. And I love that part. Verse 39, he says, turn the other cheek. Verse 40, if they want to take your shirt, offer them your coat also. I love this one. And can I say that it has served me well? That there have been times in my life where I knew that the person was in error, but it was better to let them remain in error and perhaps give them my code also. And when they finally realize that, there's something that tends to happen to a person that when they're, when they're in error or when they're wrong and they're allowed on their own through circumstances to learn that they were wrong, their repentance is stronger. You ever notice that? You ever notice when you're talking to someone and you're trying to get them to do the right thing, especially parents of my age who have children, you're trying to get them to do the right thing, but it means nothing to them until they can see it. And sometimes it's like, Dad, can you lend me some money? Yes, here's some money. Can you lend me some money? Yes, here's some money. And yes, I'm not, I'm not saying to you that we are to... Uh, assist in an issue with a, with a son or daughter or whatever the case would be or a friend or whatever. But there are times that I have given knowing that it, it was the, not necessarily the right thing to do, but then that person saw the giving and it changed their heart. And I think Jesus wants, to, wants us to see this this morning. He says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. It's a hard thing to do. But somehow he seems to know that that's best for us and best for that person. In verse 41, it says, Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. It was a law that if a Roman soldier asked you to carry his gear or his supplies or whatever he needed done for one mile, that he could force you into that act for one mile. It was law. And that's what Jesus is speaking about here. If he's forcing you to go one mile, go two with him. Because what's that doing? That's changing that person. Everything we do in ministry is about others. That's what we're looking for. I'm not proclaiming or claiming that I have all that well this morning, but I know what the Word says. It says if a force to carry one, carry things one mile, then go two. Verse 43 and 44 is a tough one. Love your enemies. What does that mean? Love your enemies. You know, I will say this, that God has a way of giving us eyes to see people differently than we used to see them or differently than the world sees them. And sometimes there's an enemy that we see that we're able to really see through and see that they're hurt or they've been wounded or they've, they've had a tough time or whatever the case is and God gives us the ability to see them as He sees them. In fact, 
if, if we're honest, we need to see them as he saw us before we said yes to him. To love your enemies. Why? He tells us why. So that you may be sons of your father. Anybody here want to be a son or daughter of God this morning? Raise your hand. Let's see who's awake this morning. This is why we do these. This is what Jesus is teaching. In verse 48, he says, Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And the word perfect sometimes translates to complete. To be complete, Jesus says, like your heavenly Father is complete. Which is that whole package of everything that we have learned about Jesus thus far and will continue to learn about Him. About He is a God of love. Yes, He chastises us. But why? Because He loves us. We are to allow Christ to transition us from our old self to our new self. We are being made complete. The fall of man made us incomplete. In Jesus, we're being made complete. Again, everything he is teaching boils down to us having not just the mind of Christ, but the heart of Christ also. Turn to Matthew 15. Matthew 15. Let's read 1 through 20 this morning. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that I would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. That's a word to us this morning. Are we, are we validating the word of God because of maybe we have a tradition or maybe we were taught something that was incorrect or maybe because we're human, we have thoughts that are incorrect and we place ourselves in a place of God and we think we have the answer, especially when it comes to judging. And yet we're nowhere close. And it says in verse 7, You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart, say heart, is far away from me, but in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. And after Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles a man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? Oh my gosh, would someone be offended today if they heard the statements that we just said in here? Verse 
But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if the blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. And Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, Are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything goes into the mouth, passes into the stomach, and then is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, fault witness, and slanders. Isn't that what he just talked about back in the Sermon on the Mount? Isn't that amazing? Verse 18, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slanders. Oh, but my friends, the good news this morning is God has a solution. James 4.8 says this, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your what? Hearts. You double-minded. James says draw near to God. We're to draw near to God. The closer we get to God, the easier this is. I'm telling you, that's how it works. And again, I've heard, how close do you want to be a God? To, how close do you want to be to God? Or how close can you get to God? As close as you want to. It's up to you. Draw near to Him. Don't be double-minded. If I'm honest, I find myself being double-minded at times. I need to train myself. Don't be double-minded. Jeremiah. 17, 9 and 10 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, listen, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man or every person according to their ways, according to the fruit of their deeds. Earlier we talked about fruit. We've been talking about fruit for weeks, frankly. And how it's the byproduct of life. How it's the excess from the tree. And the fruit. And here the Bible clearly tells us that God examines our fruit. But here Jesus tells us He wants to understand why we're having fruit. It's not an outward thing that we would do. There are a lot of rich and wealthy people throughout the world who have no clue who God is and give a lot of things and money to the poor. God searches the heart. He doesn't care about that fruit as much as He does about the heart. It's true. Why? Because He can make fruit anytime He wants to. Turn to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. Let's start in verse 24. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. Say new heart. 
and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk with my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers so that you will be my people and I will be your God. He says, moreover, I will save you from all your uncleanliness and I will call for the grain and multiply it and when I, I will not bring famine on you. I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the produce of the field so that you will not receive again the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. I am not doing this for your sake, declares the, God, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. But thus says the Lord your God. On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places to be rebuilt. Amen? Verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Let's, let's, let's turn to Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. Just a few more here this morning. Can I say to you that this is your word this morning? That if you'll hear this scripture that we're about to speak about, and maybe the one that we're going to do next, that God can help you this morning. Verse 19, 10 and 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, which is Jesus, let us draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Verse 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart. One last scripture, turn to Psalm 51. Very popular scripture. Let's read it together this morning. Psalm 51. Psalm 51, we'll start with verse 7. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right or a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me 
with your willing spirit. David writes this. David, the murderer, the adulterer, the liar, the thief. David goes to the one and only place that he knows he can go to get cleansed. He goes before the Lord and says, create in me a clean heart. When Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount and that section, he is concerned about our hearts. The actions will follow. And so what's the point? The point's simple this morning. Who has your heart? Does it truly belong to God or are you just going through the outward motions this morning? Have you gotten into a place in your Christianity that you're just kind of you're just kind of muddling through. I, I, this week, I was blessed. <laughs> I was blessed to tell this story. I was honored to get a phone call to say, hey, I could use your help, Tim. Would you mind going and picking up my, and I'll just say, son-in-law, my grandson from the hospital. They need a ride to get home in the middle of this snowstorm. And Pam would tell you I love that stuff anyway. I want to be a help to somebody. Got another call from another friend that needed some help getting a deer out of a woods this weekend. But it was an honor. Who has your heart? It was an honor. But when I was going in that snowstorm, I want you to know it was a little scary. You couldn't see anything. There was a point in that, in that storm that there was... Uh, the snow was pushing so much that literally you couldn't really see in front of your vehicle from about here to the last pew. And that's not a good feeling. And it was, it was fuzzy. But you know, you just kept going and you're looking for the taillight of the person in front of you, making sure you're not too close, not too far. You're trying to do those things. Listen, sometimes in our walk, it's that way. You can't see out there. You can't see everything. It's a walk of faith. But sometimes we get in that snowstorm or, or, or that, that kind of conditions or the fog of our walk in Christianity and sometimes it, it, it messes us up. We get complacent with that. And then we don't have eyes to see what He really wants us to see. Am I making sense to anybody? Am I, is anybody hearing me this morning? God has a way of clearing all that out so that you can see it. But it starts with your heart and what's in your heart. And he gives you eyes to see things differently. And so what's the point this morning? Who has your heart? Does it truly belong to God or are you just going through those motions? God wants you to be perfect as He is perfect. And, and people get hung up on this. They say, well, I can't be perfect. Well, we know that. But you can be working your way to completion. You can be on the right path. You can be led by the Holy Spirit. And you can be more perfect tomorrow than you were today because you said yes to Jesus. And you said, Holy Spirit, yes, guide me. And there's only one way to get our hearts pure. And the world does not have the answer for it. But the church does. The only way we can get our hearts pure is to give our hearts to the one who is, who is pure. And that's Jesus. And let me tell you this morning, if, if, if you've not done that ever in your life, don't leave today without not doing it. And let me say to you that if you've kind of got wandered somewhere off and, and you have something going on in your life that you need prayer for because you need to reset so that your heart can begin to get purified again, then don't leave this place today without that either. But if you're good with it, I'm good with it. We'll go out and encourage our brothers and sisters and we'll 
Tell them who Jesus is so that they can work toward that same clean heart that we are working toward. Paul says to work out your sanctification. That's what we're doing here. Amen? Let's pray. God, I love you, praise you, thank you. I love your word, Lord. Lord, I don't always get excited when I read some passages because sometimes, Lord, they're, they're hard. Lord, sometimes we read your word and it has a message in us that's certainly contrary to the world and even sometimes contrary to what we've been brought up in. And Lord, sometimes we don't want to receive it. But Lord, this is your word. Jesus, these are your words. This is important to us. It's important to our walk and in our lives, Lord. Can you imagine, Lord God, if we followed these precepts, if we followed your standard? Can you imagine, Lord God, that if every family was loving and stayed together? Can you imagine what it would look like if if every child had a dad who loved them and a mom who loved them? And so, Lord, we pray that this is our message, and it's not an old message. It's not not something of the ancients. It's not something that used to be, but, Lord, this is something that you want done and that will be. And so, Lord, our role and job is to be an example of love, that we might help those who are struggling with these areas in their life, Lord God, that we could bring them to you, Lord God, and you could cleanse them and sprinkle them clean and have a clean heart. God, that's our prayer this morning here, that we have a clean heart and a pure heart. We love you, Lord. We praise you this morning and give you the glory. Father, as we go forth this week, Lord, I pray that your word will not return void, that, that that we will receive it. We will receive what we have heard this morning, God, that you care about our heart, And then when our heart is right, our actions will be right. And so, Lord, help our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. And everyone who's in agreement with that prayer said, Amen Amen and Amen. Well, bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great day. Hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. You know, we would love to invite you to come and visit us in person sometime. If you're ever in our area, you can find us at 415 Union Street in Milton, Delaware, where we have prayer and worship services on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m., Bible study on Saturday evenings at 7 p.m., and a Sunday morning worship service at 10.30 a.m. We would love to minister to your children as well. We offer children's church during the adult service. Children are excused to go back to their classes right after the worship time. You can also find more information about us on the web at unionstreetmeetinghouse.org or on Facebook at Union Street Meeting House. So we look forward to sharing the message with you next week. Hope you'll return to this podcast. Thank you so much and God bless you.